Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that draws three cards, then puts two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the Torian Mauler herself, Emma. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. So as I mentioned last week, I had my second COVID jab, which is, you know, good news. All fully vaccinated mm. now. Um, however, it did just wipe me out. It took me out for the count. <laughs> so I had it Tuesday morning, which was like 10 mm. in the morning. So I was like, oh, that'll give me plenty of time to like deal with the side effects. I can just chill out and stuff. So it got to like at like 12 hours and I thought, you know what? If I had anything, probably be now or a little before because it's quite a long time, right? right? Um, and then like half an hour later, I just had like the worst aches, the biggest fever. And I was just like stuck to my bed and it was really rough for like a day and a half. Um, so yeah. if anyone's getting that second shot soon, please take a day off, even if you feel fine, because <laughs> there's probably going to be something coming soon and you'll feel pretty rough. Granted, I did have the Moderna shot and that's apparently the worst out of all the side effects you can get when it comes to the second shot. Um, but yeah, please okay. look after yourself because it was not good. <laughs> Um, yeah. In terms of magic, I played a little bit of Paper Modern. Ooh. I went to my LGS last week because they've been opening up. And nice. they're keeping all the COVID guidelines, so they've made masks mandatory, which is really, really cool, um, regardless cool. of what the rest of the country's doing. So I played some Death Shadow, and in, in mm. classic fashion, I managed to shuffle my Loris into my deck, and I missed a bunch of bauble triggers, so it's almost mm. like nature is healing. Because I didn't realise, <laughs> like, this is the first time I've played with companions. <laughs> like in paper yeah and it's just like oh yeah we need to actually not shuffle everything in so that was fun yeah and as for content i did a small write-up on mark Rosewater's san diego comic-con um panel from the weekend gone over at polygon and mm-hmm. um, mark went into some great detail about the set you know how the dungeons came to be you know how they figured out dice yeah. rolling tackling variants and stuff like that um so yeah check it over at polygon if you want to if you want to check that out how about you nice nice yeah, I'm doing as well as I can, considering it's roughly twice the temperature that we're used to over here. Uh, <laughs> still, uh, in terms of magic, I'm back on a commander buzz. So previews nice. are over, back into the hunter cards. Uh, I've finally found, I've been searching for a long time, I've finally found some new commanders that are a little less popular, but are significantly more interesting in terms of what they could do within their colors. So one of them I talked about before, it's Octavia Living Thesis, you know, spell slinger kind of thing that then makes just massive threats and another one is Lelia the Blade Reforged I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the the cast before but I was chatting about it a lot over the last week or so basically a lot of exile matters and uh, getting a lot of value and just growing Lelia out of out of control I do have a third deck as well that I've just built I've just ordered the other cards for but I'm not actually going to reveal what that deck is here because it's actually in my article this week which is already live Nice. If you're listening to this on the day that it went live, it was, went live two days ago on Card Kingdom. And it's about all three of these decks, actually. These are all, three decks that I personally own in paper and love. Mm. And it goes into detail about these decks and how they circumvent expectations of their colors. So you can go check that out once this episode is done. And you can find out what that mystery third deck is. Mm-hmm. But outside of Magic, I got my first vaccination. Finally. Yay! Getting there. Yes. Hooray! Yeah, I had it a couple of days ago, and I only have a sore arm for the day, so I was pretty happy overall. Yeah. Uh, um, which one did you get? I ended up getting the Pfizer one. Yeah. Uh, I, I just took whatever was given. Same. You know, that's the one that they have for um, the the national rollout is what they're what they're doing here. Um, 
for anyone by the way that's listening that might be like concerned about needles or anything like that or has any reservations about getting it because of needles or anything not only is it tiny and over with extremely quickly but i barely felt it at all i didn't the, realize it went in when i had my tea yeah. it's just like oh yeah, it's done i'm like oh okay i guess i'll yeah. go over there and sit down for 20 minutes <laughs> all right cheers like did you actually do it or did you just like yeah. it's just like the t- tiniest prick and even then it's just like yeah. it's so good though but at the same time you're just like wait what yeah <laughs> Yeah, like when I was sitting down, the the person that was administering it to me, like I sat down and they were just asking me the usual questions, you know, like, have you had reactions to vaccinations before or whatever? And everything was fine. And even if you don't like needles, like I wouldn't recommend looking while it's happening anyway, because, you know, like if you're ever prone to overthinking, you'll just start like your brain will just go crazy and go off the deep end. So I just sit there and I I just look away anyway, like I just stare at the wall or something or you know not important and all i heard was okay three two one and we're done i was like i thought you were going to stab me when you got to one but it, you mean it's done like okay yeah. i'll take it <laughs> so yes also i feel it is the responsible thing to tell anyone that's listening to get vaccinated yes and if you're already sorted then you're officially class and i love you so yeah there you go we are now the vax um, cast <laughs> get vaccinated uh, please yes please do Please, come on. I want to go and go, you know, three, four in modern again. <laughs> oh, no, Lisa Murphy can f Come on, let's go. <laughs> now, come on. That didn't even happen in the before times. Let's be real. <laughs> so outside of magic and outside of uh, getting stabbed, I have decided in terms of gaming to give Final Fantasy 14 a go again. Mm. So I tried it months ago. It didn't really fit me the last time. I think that was kind of down to both my mindset. I don't think it was the right kind of game I wanted to play at the time. And the in-game class I chose, it was just, it was a little too support heavy and wasn't really my thing. So I'm playing it again now, started over, new class and all sorts, and it's feeling much, much better. I'm really enjoying it this time and I'm starting to get the appeal. So rip my spare time, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I had much to begin with, but sure look. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so before we jump into the main section of the episode, I have a little card of the week. Ooh. It's weird because it feels a little strange for this episode to have a card of the week because we also have a load of other card of the weeks, I suppose, yeah. this week. But anyway, uh, my card of the week this week is Teferi's Veil, right? is one and a blue. It's an enchantment that reads, whenever a creature you control attacks, it phases out at end of combat. So... Basically, it's a two-mana enchantment that phases out attackers at the end of combat, protects them from sorcery speed removal, protects them from board wipes. It's really weird to get this kind of effect, particularly in blue, because mm. blue had a bunch of phasing cards years ago, but most of them were not very good. Yeah, it's very strange because unlike protection spells like, you know, Eerie Interlude and stuff, like equipment and auras and everything don't fall off, so that's in any way relevant. But it's really good for, like, aggressive blue decks. I think, like, Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow... Edric Spymaster of Trest, Anawanda Rune Thief, any of these small ball aggro decks that want to just get a load of attacks in, 
you want to make sure that you have a critical mass of creatures and them getting killed by you know a supreme verdict or something like that is just so backbreaking yeah so this kind of card it might seem like it's not great because it's like well you're phasing out your creatures i mean you don't have them for defense but the thing is you're attacking with these ones anyway so it doesn't matter you know so it's very powerful i use it in anawan myself and it has won me games because my opponents just can't deal with my creatures they're like well will they ever start existing so i can blow them up please yeah so yeah that's cool one. really really good is, is this a teferi card that you like it is a Teferi card that I like. But this is the thing. I actually like an awful lot of Teferi cards. It's specifically <laughs> the three mana Teferi. Time Raveler. Yes, there you go. Teferi Time Raveler. It's actually been a long time since I've played against Teferi Time Raveler. And that's why I can't remember his name. <laughs> but like the, the five mana one that was in Dominaria, I think is an absolute S tier control finisher kind of effect. Like it's very, very strong. That's the kind of level. It's not quite well actually i would actually put it reasonably close on power level to the likes of jason mind sculptor i would say it's almost better like i remember when yeah. uh jtms became unbanned in modern and everyone was like oh my god jtms is going to ruin modern again and for the longest time more people were playing teferi than they were jtms and that's kind yeah. of evident right of how good the card is mm-hmm. yeah i think the thing with jtms is that it just slots into more decks as like a rando good yeah. piece you know which I personally hate. Like, you know me. Like, I, I don't like value piles. Like, no. you know, make your deck have a purpose, you know? That's why I can respect stuff like Tron and Bogles and everything, even though I don't personally like playing them myself. I'm like, you've got a plan, and you're sticking to that plan. Yeah. You know, that is the way to play, you know? <laughs> if you're like, I'm going to duress you, and then I'm going to play something that draws me a card, and then I'm going to kill a thing. I'm like, oh my God, you're so boring. Are you just like, calling out jump players here? <laughs> No, no, green, black, rock players as well. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I, I joke, I joke, I joke. Like, I poke fun, but, you know, you can, everyone can enjoy what they want. It's mm-hmm. all good. But what we're talking about this week, we're going to Commander, and we're talking about 10 underplayed budget Commander All-Stars. So that seems like a kind of nebulous title. You know, like, what what defines underplayed, what defines all-star, and what defines budget, and so on. So, we've actually sort of whittled it down into a, a set of criteria, I suppose. So, first of all, we're, we're using EDH Rec. If it's listed in fewer than 2,000 decks on EDH Rec, we're considering it underplayed, because that's less than 1% of all decks, mm. which, whatever way you look at that, that's a, quite a small amount. And they have to cost less than a dollar. And they have to be good in multiple different kinds of decks, for the most part. You know, that, that one's a little bit more flexible, but the first two parts, under 2,000 decks on EDH Rec, are costing less than a dollar. That's what we're looking at. So, Emma, do you want to start us off with the first one there? Yes. So, my first pick is one from Strixhaven. I'm quite a fan of this card, and that is Strict Proctor. So, for one generic and a white, you get a Spirit Cleric, that is a 1-3, and it has Flying. And it reads, whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger, counter that ability unless its controller plays two. It can cause like minor speed bumps in decks, so these kind of cards are really good in like taxes builds because you just want to make your opponent uncomfortable as possible. And these yeah. kind of cards are really good at doing that, right? It's just irritating, it just knocks the uh, your opponent slightly off to the point where you can take an advantage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this card's in like 800 or so decks on EDH Rec apparently, and it's like f- just over 50 cents. So that just feels like really good value. Like it's just enough to yep. be annoying to the point where they're probably going to have to deal with it. Like do you perhaps use some of their best removal just to get rid of it so they can carry on with yep. their game plan. 
Absolutely. And that's one less piece of removal being targeted at your commander or like a combo piece or whatever. This so. is it. And the fact it's yeah. flying is relevant as well, like in command, especially if you want to get aggressive. I know commander struggles to be very combat focused um, and just like just chipping in for a couple of points of damage is sure to get you to do something as well. Yeah, yeah it can hold the sword pretty well. Yep. So my first one, I had to lead with a strong one for me, and that is Dika Fractal Theorist. So Dika is in 1,523 decks, to be precise, at the time of recording, and is only 49 cents, right? So they were in one of the precons. They were in the uh, the Twin Casters Simic precon. Well, sorry, not Simic, uh, Quandrix precon. Yeah. And Dika is four and a blue for a 3-3 human wizard, that has Magecraft. So whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, you create a 0-0 green and blue fractal creature token. And you put X plus one plus one counters on it where X is that spell's mana value. And you can pay three and a blue to have target creature become unblockable this turn. So effectively, it's Metallurgic Summonings on a stick. And Metallurgic Summoning sees a lot of play. You can also have her make their tokens unblockable. And they get plus one, plus one counters. So if there's any decks that might run a few spells, but also have plus one, plus one counter synergies, it's fantastic for there. What's really good is that Magecraft works with copies and not just the spells that were cast. Mm. So if you're, you know, if you're copying any spells on the stack or anything like that, you could just make a huge army out of nowhere. What I really love, and surprise, surprise, Dika is in my Octavia Living Pieces deck, that we're starting to reach a critical mass in mono blue mm. of these token generators for when you cast spells. Because you've got like Murmuring Mystic, you've got Talrand, Metallurgic Summonings, like I said, you've got Shark Typhoon, you've got Dika. Like, there's just so many of these that mono blue might just be like one of the best ways to go for Spellslinger. Like in the future, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. So, yeah, this is fantastic. 50 cents? Absolutely. Really good. This good yeah. rate. So, unsurprisingly, my card is a white card from Kaldheim and that's Redan, God of the Worthy. So for two generic and a white, you get a two free legendary creature God that has flying and vigilance and the card reads, Snowlands your opponent's control enter the battlefield taps. Non-creature spells your opponent's cast will convert a mana cost or in this case mana value, uh, four or more, uh, cost two more to cast. And for free mana, it just seems like a really good good stat line. Like it can hold a sword really well, for example. Um, the flying and vigilance is going to be relevant. Going back to strict proctor, similar thing there. It yeah. can host snow decks. So if there's like a dedicated snow deck at the table or someone that just wants to run snowlands because they're quote unquote free, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You can kind of punish them for it with this card, which is great. Um, yeah. Also, like the second ability is very similar to Gaddock Teague which sees a lot of playing commander is often hated out in commander just for what it yeah. does and this is kind of like two gaddock teeds in like a trench coat like just hiding away <laughs> sort of thing um it's very very innocuous you, like you wouldn't put the two together right um and then you've got the flip side which is relevant as well which is valk mirror the you know protector's shield and so for free generic and a white you get a legendary artifact and it reads, if a source and opponent controls would deal damage to you on a permanent you control, you prevent one of that damage. And then you have the second ability, which is whenever another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell unless they pay one. Um, once again, it's just secretly powerful. Um, it's effectively a static flusterstorm and turns off a lot of different decks. Yeah. This side is really good. You shouldn't really ignore it. It's oddly flexible. You can play it in aggressive decks. You can play it in taxes decks. You can even play it in pillow forts decks if you just want that extra sort of disruption. 
Um, and mm-hmm. for, you know, 93 cents, it seems really, really good. And, you know, it doesn't see a lot of play in standard, so it's not going to get any higher than that, I suspect. And it's in, like, mm-hmm. just around 1,600 decks on EDH rec. So, yeah, this seems like a real slam dunk if you just want to play those sort of white aggressive decks or white taxes-based decks or you just want to be a bit of a jerk at the table with a pillow fort. But, yeah, this card's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those weird white cards that, like, it feels like it should definitely see more play and I feel like it really, really will see more play because similar to the likes of Dranath Magistrate where it's starting to show up a lot in decks now because you know it just does something simple that like slows down your opponents just enough and Raidan does a very similar kind of thing I didn't respect it enough initially until I was playing my Sir Conrad the Grim deck and an opponent had Raidan out and I was milling over loads of cards and they were taking no damage yeah because they had the protector shield side out and I was like okay cool I guess my commander just doesn't work now you know <laughs> yeah. and when that's your main source of damage you're like I have to kill this thing you know so yeah it's super super strong I really really like this card and I I'm shocked at the number of decks that this is in it should be in yeah. five to ten times as many in my opinion I think people so strong. I think people tend to look at the snow part more importantly than the galaxy yeah. part of it yeah. that's not how to look at it like the snow part is the is the bonus you want it for the taxes bit and then it can just you know it can chip away at some you know at your opponents it's also not a terrible Voltron commander like you can throw some swords on it and go to yeah. town as well like if you want to get if you want to keep budget it might be a good option um, but because it's in Kaldheim it's in a, a standard set that's in that is currently legal in standard mm-hmm. um, and p- plenty of people open packs like this is never going to be expensive I don't think so um your next card gives me a little bit of PTSD from Ixalan's, uh Limited. So do you want to talk about this one? <laughs> oh, with glee, with glee. So <laughs> Tetsamok Primal Death, Blah. the black dino, one heckin' chonker, mm. four black black for a 6-6 six, six with Death Touch, an elder dinosaur. They read, when Tetsamok enters the battlefield, destroy each creature your opponents control with a prey counter on it, and you can pay black and reveal Tetsamok from your hand to put a prey counter on target creature. You can activate this ability only during your turn. So you can do this at instant speed as long as it's on your turn. So you can do it mid-combat for whatever reason. But they're just a big, powerful creature that you can use these prey counters very politically. You can start striking deals and be like, well, Tetsamok's coming. You saw me reveal him last turn with with Mm. the prey counters. So if you want to keep your creatures around i suggest we start doing deals here you know so you can do that kind of thing with it the fact that they can just surgically control the board and just cut out any problem piece that you want without disrupting your own board without angering an opponent that might only like if an opponent sort of was a little slow to stumble and they're only getting their commander out and say like turn five or six it feels bad to wipe the board like it might be necessary but at that point like you're setting everyone back but you're setting them back even further because they've had to play catch up with this it does cost a little bit more over time because you have to you know pay the mana and reveal it but you could do it multiple times in a turn with any spare mana you have and just build it up and then you get to choose when to pull the trigger so yeah it's just really really powerful it's it's great for entertainment you know it may not be the most efficient thing in the world but if you start revealing Tetsamok and start making like the Jaws music sounds like and like your opponents are going to be like oh god that's coming isn't it oh okay okay time to start being nice to them you know like 
it, it builds attention. Like, it's not everything is about having the most efficient and most powerful and most posted plays. Sometimes, like, the theatrics of it all is worth it. And to me, Tetsamok is one of those, like, iconic tension cards where, yeah. like, people know it's coming, you know? So, yeah, I adore this card. It is so, so good. Plus, it's an elder dinosaur. Dinosaurs are cool. Yeah, very spiky. <laughs> very spiky. One spiky boy. <laughs> Um, so my next card is a recent one from Modern Horizons 2, in fact, and that is Blacksmith mm. Skill. So for one white oh, mana, yes. you get an instant, and it's also a common, which is also important to take away here. Um, and the card reads, target permanent gains hexproof and indestructible till end of turn. If it's an artifact creature, it gains plus two, plus two until end of turn. So basically, this is a Carmetra's Blessing for artifact creatures. No, it does protect any permanent not necessarily just creatures yeah. so if you've got some artifacts that you want to keep stick around or any enchantments you want to stick around or even like if someone tries to stone rain you you can just be like no thanks no just like get out of here sort <laughs> yeah. of thing which is great the fact it offers hexproof and indestructible means it's great against targeted removal and board wipes this is particularly good in like voltron style decks so if you want if you've mm. loaded a load of pants or load of equipment onto a creature and you want it to stick around this is a really good way to deter that so yeah, this is a must-include piece of protection in white-based decks that need a particular piece to stay safe. So mentioning like Voltron decks, even in combo decks that you'd be familiar with, so stuff like Tashar. Mm-hmm. Tashar would like this quite a lot as well. Um, yeah. It's only in 433 decks on EDH rec apparently, which is... I know Modern Horizons just came out and it's fairly new, yeah. but yeah, the more decks you just play this card, it's really, really good. And it's like seven cents. Yeah. It's like draft chaff. You could probably pick up a set just, you know, go into your LGS after an MH2 draft because they're going to be left around sort of thing. You'd probably find one on the floor. like. Yeah, this is it. You might, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, But no, this seems really good. Unsurprisingly, I'm quite excited for the card because it it's got hexproof and it's an instant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like this seems great. Yeah, super, super good. I, I feel like this is going to creep up over time in terms of its inclusion index. Mm. And I think the thing with this is that people don't read where it says target permanent against yeah. hexproof and indestructible. I think people just see creature there and be like, oh, it's just another kind of protection spell, whatever. Target permanent is insane. Yes. Like, that's protect any combo piece, protect any commander, protect any planeswalker, any land, any anything. And I think that's the part where people are eventually just going to cop onto it and go, Wait a minute. Also, rereading the card, it's not permanent or uh, permanent that you control, but you can save someone else's mm-hmm. to be political at the table. You can indeed. As well. Absolutely. Which is a good bargaining chip at a, at a table of commander. So it's one, one to keep out. Yep, for sure. Just one little thing before we go on. I noticed I didn't actually give the count or the cost for Tatsumak Primal Death. So Tatsumak shows up in 1,791 decks, so they're underneath the 2,000. Yeah. requirement and they're 38 cents totally worth it but moving on to the next one this is a card that i've been playing a good bit recently in lelia the blade reforged and that is furious rise so it's in 1558 decks and it costs a whopping two cents wow and it yeah <laughs> wow. it is two and a red for an enchantment that reads at the beginning of your end step if you control a creature with power four or greater exile the top card of your library you may play that card until you exile another card with furious rise so this is just constant continuous card advantage that is super easy to turn on like there are a massive number of commanders that just existing will turn this on for you 
it's nothing particularly special or unique like we have a lot of these kind of things but that's the key you know it's it's re adding redundancy to these sort of outpost siege effects and the good thing about exile like impulse draw like this the exiling keeps cards safe from wheel and discard effects and everything now i know furious rise only gives you one a turn but that is pretty relevant like if if you reveal something and your opponents are like ah oh, we need to deal with that they just can't deal with it like even removing the furious rise doesn't get rid of it it's just there you know so yeah that's pretty good and the thing is as well this came up for me actually only a couple of days ago when i was playing a test game with lelia is that if you kill or bounce the four power creature that you have so that it doesn't trigger again you could just keep a specific card under there if you're like oh i really want to hold that for later on yeah you could just keep that around or you can you know get rid of the furious rise or something so it just sits around and you can just play that whenever you want so like i said nothing super particularly fantastic or flashy but it's just solid it's yeah. just really really good you just want sometimes you just want that incidental value in a game of commander just to tie you over right that's it yep and speaking of value that can tie you over my next card flame scroll celebrant is a really nice one for uh, mm. for commander especially if you're on a budget so it is from strict haven so for one generic and a red you get a human shaman creature that is a two one and the card reads whenever an opponent activates an ability that isn't a mana ability flame scroll celebrant deals one damage to that player it also has an ability where if you play a generic and a red, Flame Scroll Celebrant gets plus two plus O until end of turn. And it also has a flip side. And the flip side is Revelant Silence. So that is a double white in cost and it's an instant. And your opponents can't cast spells or activate Planeswalkers loyalties abilities this turn. Exile Revelant Silence. So essentially it's a silence that can hit Planeswalkers. Um, yeah. So it's super flexible because it has two very powerful and relevant effects. It's like a harsh mentor pretty much. It's very, very punishing. Mm. And that, that, that one point of damage just builds up after a while. Like there comes a point where players just can't afford to take that damage. Mm -hmm. So that silence effects that also shuts down Planeswalkers is for a turn is really strong and unique especially if you're in a table that's like super friends like attracts a super friend sort of deal you can just and you can essentially time walk them which is pretty pretty funny for like two mana yeah. and also because it's in boris or in law hold sorry not boris um <laughs> you can be aggressive if you really want to so you can just pump up the celebrant and get in some damage um but that that ability is just really really relevant especially how many times people activate like artifacts and lands and creatures like it just slowly adds up um and for 20 cents and only like 700 or so decks that are running this at the moment it just seems really good in those sort of law hold sort of boris taxes style yeah. decks yeah super good the key to these kind of cards is that you know the front side is decent the back side is decent but together on the one card, you're putting two effects into one card slot. And card slots, like, it might seem like you have a lot with 99 cards to choose from in a commander deck, but it gets tight fast. Yeah. You know, like, it, it sometimes can be difficult to cut something in order to fit in just a single piece of graveyard hate, for example, or a single piece of, like spell casting hate or whatever yeah so that's one thing i love about um like strixhaven did it quite well as did Dendekar rising you know had these dfc mm. cards that just allow you some choice so yes you have a hundred card deck you probably have like 120 cards altogether, just because they can all do different things you have so many access to dfcs these days it's just it's mm. just nice to have i don't want this side but i can do this side just in case sort of thing and it's just it just makes deck building a lot easier because building commander decks can be quite tricky so if you can have multiple effects on the same card with a lot of choice it just makes that easier doesn't it so 
Yeah, for sure. And speaking of cards with modality and different choices and everything, my next card is one that I actually think I included a while ago in an article on Card Kingdom, and that is Evolution Charm. So Evolution Charm was reprinted in Time Spiral Remastered, was originally in Planar Chaos. It's slightly a cheat on this list because it's in 2084 decks, but I figured it's close enough. It's close enough. It's a good enough card that I felt warranted inclusion here. It is a bit pricey at two cents. It is an instant that says, choose one. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand and shuffle your library. Or return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand or target creature gains flying until end of turn. So, like a lot of the other color-shifted charms from Planar Chaos, like Dawn Charm and Piracy Charm and that kind of thing, they're extremely powerful in their utility. They're relatively weak effects. Like, let's get that out of the way. They're not particularly powerful. You know, like, the first one is not as good as Rampant Growth. The second one is not as good as Regrowth. That kind of thing. But when you put them all on the one card, the flexibility is what shores up the downsides to all of them. You know, it's great in the early game to find your land drops. It's great in the mid game to rebuy your best creature after some removal or a board wipe. It's great in the late game to give evasion and punch through some defenses in order to get through for lethal. Like, This is the kind of card that when you're just flicking through your boxes of random cards and stuff, you'll forget that this is a thing and you'll read it and you'll be like, why don't I put this in decks? Because that's exactly what happened to me. I found this in a box and was like, why don't I put this in decks? I've started to use it. It is really good. I really, really enjoy it. Highly recommended. Yeah, I always find charms quite good in Commander anyway, for you sake, because they're flexible. Same with the commands. And my next card is another one from Strixhaven. Like, Strixhaven seems to be riddled with underappreciated and awesome commander cards. Um, it and this really is, is. And it's Zephyr Boots. So for one generic mana, you get an artifact equipment. And it reads, a quick creature has flying. Whenever a quick creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card and then discard a card. And it has an equip cost mm. of two. It's just a cheap, effective piece of equipment that can go in most decks because you always want to draw cards, right? And... Mm. It just provides filtering. Sometimes you just want to pick some cards to your bin because you want to reanimate them later on, or you want to feed for that delve, or you just you know you're bricked on lands and you just want to you just want to do something. Mm-hmm. It just grants them the best evasion in the game, as I mentioned before with Strict Proctor. You know, flying is very evasive, so this mm-hmm. ties everything in together if you want to get into the red zone. And the last thing, what's great about this card is one that you'll appreciate is that it can be tutored with a trinket mage. Because I know you're quite fond oh, of that yes. card in Commander, because it's one yes. mana, so you can you can just get it off a trinket mage, which which might be good. And then you can equip it to the trinket mage and just get in yeah. because it's done its oh, job. Um, you are speaking my language, <laughs> the love language of trinket mage. Um, <laughs> so Zephyr Boots is only in about 700 or so EDH decks. Again, Strixhaven came out this year, so mm. that number might be a little smaller. And it's a whopping nine cents for an uncommon. So, <laughs> I I absolutely love this card. Yep, and I'm um, like, cause I have Anna on the Room Thief. I might just put it in that because it's I'm gonna connect and draw cards off it. So I might have to dig this out later and upgrade it. Yeah, I have a copy of this in my Jalrail Monvuli Recluse deck, the nice. deck that wants to always draw a card, an extra card a turn minimum. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is fantastic. It's so good. Like. A lot of the time you don't even care about the fact that you're discarding the cards because you just need card velocity in a lot of these more aggressive decks where you just need to find the right pieces. You mm-hmm. don't need a critical mass of pieces, you just need the right ones. So, yeah, this is so, so good. This plus Mask of Memory and, like, you're digging, like, Oof. crazy. I love oh, Mask of yes. Memory. 
great card. So you mentioned tutoring things up with Trinket Mage, one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> there is another thing, and I have, I have it here for you. This is one that I think you would like quite a bit. And it is tutoring. It's forging the Tyrite Sword. Ooh, I do so, like this card. Big oh, fan so of this good. card. <laughs> so, I'll read it out. First of all, it's in 1,305 decks at the moment, and it only costs 12 cents. So, it came from Caltime. Again, came out this year, so, you know, this number is almost definitely going to go up eventually. But you can get ahead of the curve on this one. So, it's one red and white for an enchantment saga that has three chapters. The first two chapters are identical. It's create a treasure token. But the last chapter, chapter three, says search a library for a card named Halvar, God of Battle, or an equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So generally speaking, what Boros tends to lack in card advantage compared to the other colors, it makes up for in its tutor effects. You know, there are loads of things like Stoneforge Mystic, Open the Armory, Forging the Tyrite Sword, all these kind of things. Redundancy is key with this stuff because, again, it's not necessarily about finding as many pieces as possible. It's normally about finding the right pieces. So this is really, really, really powerful for that. First of all, you don't need Halvar God of Battle in your deck for this to be great. That's just an extra option. If he happens to be in there, happy days. If not, it's an equipment tutor, which is fantastic. It gives you a total of three artifacts. If you look at it from this angle, this is fantastic. It gives you one into your hand in the form of the equipment on chapter three and two on the board in the form of treasure tokens. And not to mention that this comes out at the end of it, costing one mana because you get a two mana rebate thanks to the treasure tokens as well. And like there are so many small synergies between, you know, artifacts on board or sacrificing artifacts or treasures or equipment or tutors or whatever, that if you have red and white in your deck, you can almost definitely find some aspect of this card that will fit in there somehow. You know, you could just use it to get like swift foot boots and you've also made two treasures in the meantime. And you might not even have an equipment focused deck. It could just be literally to get swift foot boots or mirror shield or something like that, just to protect your commander or a key piece. And that's great. It's really good. Like 12 cents as well. Like, come on. Draft chaff. A lot of it is draft chaff. And that's the best thing about commander, right? Like someone else's, you know, draft chaff is someone else's treasure, right? When it comes to stuff like this. So it's good in this to... case, it literally is treasure. Yeah, it is literally treasure <laughs> because it creates treasure tokens. Um, <laughs> you know, this card's sweet. I really like it in like Boris equipment style decks. And also it can get like a Caldra complete, which seems pretty fun as well. <laughs> you you, you really want, And you can sure. use the treasure to cast it as well. So. <laughs> All right, so... They are our 10 underplayed cards under a dollar, and I'm aware that this seemed an awful lot like, you know, Strixhaven Draft Chaff that you should probably pick up soon, but, like, really, an awful lot of that set is so criminally underappreciated in Commander right now. Yeah. There's so many things that may not be the most powerful version of that kind of effect, but it's redundancy, and that's so, so powerful. To be able to be more consistent in a singleton format is incredible. I think eventually Strixhaven is going to be quite expensive like to pick up singles for just because there's just going to be so much stuff for Commander and all like the good stuff in Commander from Strixhaven all uncommons and we all know like how difficult it is to open uncommons you know compared to like mythics and stuff so just want to keep an eye on. And in case you don't know this, anybody that's listening, um, in case you don't know how expensive uncommons can get, Aether Vial was originally an uncommon. So. Have you, uh, I can go one further. Have you seen how much Mistress Bulbul is right now? 
Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Emma, rounding out the episode, our usual Q&A section. What have we got this week? Yes, we've got a few on the docket this week. So, from the BMCast Discord from Island Drax, they ask, after this week's BNR announcement and no impact on Pauper, what decks that aren't currently the big three do you see having a chance breaking through in the current Pauper meta games? And what decks would you think would need to break free? Okay, so first of all, to anyone that doesn't know, the current big three are like Blue Black, Delver, slash Blue Black Fairies kind of thing. I think it's more Delver at the moment. Affinity and Storm. And... Yeah, to be honest, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't think there's anything that can really sort of stand up to that stuff at the moment. Like, they are just head and shoulders above. It's like playing uncommons and rares in Pauper, sort of. You know, it, it's that kind of power level we're talking about. What's important at the moment as well is that, like, the likes of Blue Black Delver and that kind of thing, I'm not concerned about wh- how they're doing, just for the record. They're, they're just decent decks. I don't think there's anything in there that's currently too powerful they're just able to cope with what's going on. Um, it's Affinity and Storm that are causing the real problems at the moment. I, I don't actually think anything can really break through, but here's the thing. Unless you are actually playing against those decks, don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, my local metagame has a bunch of different decks. Like, there's there's uh, Red Black Reanimator, there's Gruel Landfall, there's uh, Blue White Familiars, there's Mono Black Control, there's a bit of Tron there's cascade decks like but no one's playing these decks because they like the storm or affinity because they know that it's just gonna get banned at some point so they're yeah. just not bother putting it together so unless you're actually playing against these i wouldn't really worry too much and i would just build whatever makes you happy and i think that's what's important yeah i have to agree i will say though even though the mm-hmm. big three and pauper is probably in the worst spot it's been in a very long time it's kind of nice not to see tron about yeah and then that's a weird, it's, a bit, it's almost bittersweet, isn't it? Um, just be like, yeah, you got all these Buster stuff from MH2, but remember that Tron deck that was just like always really good? <laughs> like, it just doesn't exist mm. anymore. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that. Yeah. But hopefully, what's you can actually acknowledge the format in some capacity and ban some cards. That would be nice. Mm. Soon. Hopefully, there's a surprise banning between when we record this and when this episode actually comes out. Yeah, and then that, we're, that. This, this question becomes pointless. <laughs> yes, and um, we'll look really, really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kilgore Trout has a question from the BMCast Discord, um, and they ask, What are some cool ways to pimp out your deck on a budget? And when they mean pimping out, it's stuff like foils, full arts, maybe like FNM promos, that kind of thing. All sorts of stuff, yeah. yeah. So, here's the thing, Kilgore Trout 503. My friend, my buddy, my pal. This is honestly one of the best questions that we've actually ever gotten to the point that we're going to do a full episode in this, if not two episodes, because there are so many ways that people just don't really think about. Because when, when they think about like blinging out a deck or something, they're like, oh, I'm going to have to foil my, I don't know, whatever, Jund deck or whatever. And like all you see is just dollar signs. And like it seems like it's really prohibitive and really restrictive when in reality, that is not the case at all. That's absolutely not the case. There are so many different ways that you can pimp out and bling out your deck on a budget. And yeah, we're, we're going to go into depth on this. So apologies, we're not going to answer this question now, but we're going to answer it later in significantly greater detail. Yeah. And it's going to be good. So keep your ears to the ground. Yeah. 
Um, Servo Token, again from the BM Cast Discord, asks How many decks should a competitive player have access to? I've seen people who own, only ever own one deck, and some people that own around 20. Is there like a general consensus, or is it just what you feel like, what you fancy? And like your preference on the format takes a lot into that. Mm. Yeah. So let's just take a format for example, okay? Because it's one of the more popular ones, and that's modern, right? So honestly, the answer and this is actually regardless of whatever format, uh, it's whatever you can financially have access to comfortably because there's no point in financially crippling yourself in order to be able to get an, another deck so that if your deck is not great on one week or whatever, like the better thing to do is to get some form of support network with like other people that play. So for argument's sake, let me just tell you now that I have like two people in particular immediately come to my mind when I think of going to play competitively that I know if I needed to borrow a card or two from them they're actually both patrons uh, patrons of the the channel Ian Holland and Tom Telford I can go to both of them and be like listen I need to borrow you know Ugans or I need to borrow Totsies or whatever for an event because I need to jam together a deck that I think is going to do well and that is probably one of the more effective ways to do it like have this little support network where everybody has a quote-unquote collective pool from which they can draw temporarily mm. but there's other things as well like a perfect example of the of, of the other style that i know of would be say like caleb Shearer. he's just gift storm in modern he has always been gift storm he will never be anything else he just has gift storm and that is it and when storm is good he absolutely wrecks the gaff and when it's not he like plays for fun or he doesn't play and that's a perfectly fine way to go about it as well you know like becoming a master of a single deck and being able to focus all of your expertise into that one thing so that when it is good you were just gonna blaze the whole thing i think that's one of my favorite things about modern that you don't really see in other formats you may see it in legacy but who follows Mm. legacy these days (laughs) so one thing i love about modern is that you have these archetype specialists you just have these people that will just play one deck in and out and be like hey there's a new set this is what you add to this deck you know and just you know carry on like you have dedicated amulet titan players you've got dedicated you know as you say like storm players dredge players all of that and it's just really really good um and if you enjoy playing one deck just play that deck like you don't need to have like 20 decks to have a good time unless it's pauper yeah. then it's really cheap to do that because i don't know yeah. i don't know if it's the case at your lgs but we have a pauper guy who has 10 decks and he just brings them all down and then it's like yeah. here's pauper fnm everyone can borrow a deck sort of thing which is which is great because it means it fires yeah. and stuff but um sure emma i told you about my spice rack before oh when yes, i still had all my you, pauper decks. Yeah. yeah you got your spice yeah, was, rack pauper decks yeah that was it yeah yeah it was it was i think i think what was the story behind this i think my parents got me like this little you know finely crafted little wooden like six pack carry case nice. with some craft beers in it and i was like i really want to like hold on to this little crate you know because it's real it looks real nice and i realized that like it perfectly fits like 12 decks so i just put my entire popper collection into it (laughs) and then just brought it down and like slammed it on the table and was like all right everybody take one we're doing an event now (laughs) and that was it you know so yeah I, i i don't have that many decks anymore um for popper because i tried to slim down in order to you know make room to fit commander decks in here somewhere yeah but yeah, like that. Yeah, in in popper, it. Some people are going to get annoyed when I say this, but popper isn't really a competitive format. And the, when I say that, 
I don't mean that like people don't play competitively, but rather there aren't really competitive events, you know. So I think it's kind of an an outlier in this. But you know, a funny story is a funny story. So yeah, whatever. I can just imagine you with a spice <laughs> rack waltzing in is like you know, like, yeah. like a like a like a market guy just going, oh, <laughs> who wants affinity? Who wants vocals? <laughs> Um, so we have one more from Evie the Maze ninety seven who asks on Twitter that mm-hmm. they've been playtesting uh, Modern Domain Zoo list lately, uh, thanks nice. to Modern Horizons two, which is it looks really sweet to be fair. I do like that deck quite a bit. Mm. That said, what do you think about two mana five fives and four fours? Are they too fair in a land full of monkeys and murktides? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like if you're if you're enjoying it and you're winning games, then the answer is no, they're not too fair. But I've never been a fan of Zoo myself. No, I think the way I see it is like, it is kind of fine because not everyone has Ragavans because Ragavans are really expensive. Like, Mm. I don't know anyone that owns four. I know people who own like two or three, but because they're just so expensive, they're just like, no one's really like playing with like all of them. But if if you love playing Zoo, play Zoo. Just play what you want to enjoy because that's what magic should be and that's what modern should be. Merktides and monkeys are powerful, yes, but there'll come a time when they might not be, like the metagame might shift. Um, yeah. And also, Evie the Mage just wants to make a quick note that um, General Freos Rock Rick um, from Modern Horizons 2 is 50 cents mm. and is a really, really good pickup, which you also play in these kind of style decks as well. And in mid to live decks as well, if you want to play Tribinder Tribal, you know, mid to yeah. live. So. Yeah. I never really thought about General Freos Rock Rick because. They're another one of those like weird commanders mm. that you can definitely do strange build arounds. I might have to look into this. Evie, it's thank cool you card. for this one. It's a really mm. cool card. You, make, you just make a load of golems and just go off. Seems quite fun. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, and Christopher McCarthy. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nurblin, Everett Brogan, Tom Telford, Alex Gibson, Jeff Eaton, and Bo Schwartz-Madsen. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.